Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Also, Lakes, Woods, and Irons, our Facebook page, and Lakes, Woods, and Irons also on Podcast MN, good landing spot for podcasts. A couple of great guests uh, coming up today. We have Sarah Burnham, PGA, young PGA member, and uh, also Ian Highfield, who has some uh, uh, golf, uh, kind of uh, the Beyond the Mind podcast with Ian Highfield, and uh, that's kind of the way... He explains things as well. That was uh, that, those will be good guests today. Looking forward to that, and of course, have Chris Foley with me always. Chris, uh, welcome again. And uh, boy, uh, once in a while, a guy gets uh, dialed in on the PGA Tour, and, uh, and maybe Dustin Johnson just uh, heard enough about how he hasn't been playing that good in the last few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing performance. Um, gosh, you know. <laughs> You, you you win by eleven shots, and uh, I thought maybe you skipped the last nine or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, amazing performance. And you know, it it, it just, we talked about it on last week's show about just kind of the ups and downs. And um, you know, here here he's he won um, second event of the year of the restart, and then then he shoots three consecutive rounds 79 81 80 and then he uh uh pga championship he's he's tight or he's he's leading going into the final round and didn't necessarily play he didn't play poorly colin marcara played so well and then uh then he has a down week and then wins by 11 so (laughs) it looked like he was going to shoot uh in the mid 50s that round he had going on friday yeah. He goes birdie, eagle, birdie, eagle, par, birdie. So he's seven under after six holes. And I think he was 11 under after 11 holes, if I remember right. That That's correct. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, you know, the Thursday, there's a 59 and a 60. Yeah, wow. And I can tell you, I have not played TPC of Boston myself, but it is not an easy golf course. It... Uh, it, uh, I think traditionally, traditionally it's it's you know kind of middle of the middle of the road as far as difficulty on the, on the PGA Tour, but they there were some incredible scores all week. There were, but he he ends up winning by eleven. He shoots thirty under. I don't know if has anybody ever shot thirty under on the PGA Tour. I'm not sure. Thirty one um, under is the record. Yeah, yeah. Um, Phil Mickelson at the Bell South Classic. Uh, back in uh, the early 2000s, so the week before the the, the Masters one year, he shoots that. Yeah, and I think uh, he won the Masters that year too. Was, I think that's right. He but was there, rolling there along pretty couple, good. There have been a couple 30 unders um, as well, but uh, uh, you know the biggest margin of victory, uh, I believe, in 11 years on tour. Also, Phil Mickelson uh, won by 11, but uh, you know Tiger won the U.S. Open by 13. Yeah, at Pebble yep. Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tiger had a couple twelve and thirteen shot margins. So phenomenal. I thought Brandel Chambly had a good take. He's always uh, I kind of like Brandel's personality because he's not always uh, you know sometimes he likes to stir the pot. But uh, and I heard this myself. I might even said it. You know, said man, these courses are playing too easy for these guys. And uh, he was like, why can't we just say when a guy shoots thirty under? <laughs> that it's an unbelievable performance. You know, why do we have to say it's too easy? When a guy hits 70 home runs, do we say it's too easy? 
That's right. Yeah. No, we say. That, that's a great point. I didn't hear him say that, but that that's so true. Yeah, I thought it was really, I mean, he blows away the best golfing field in the world by 11 shots over four days. You know, like you say, yeah. two, two, uh, two and a half, three shots around that better than the best guys in the world. That's extraordinary. Yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> and the British Open was a great story, Chris. Uh, Sophie uh, Popoff wins there. Yeah, gosh, you know, it, it just shows you the golf is, there's so many ups and downs and, and, um, you know, when, when you play at that level mentally, it, it just beats you up so bad and, uh, no status really on the, on the LPGA tour. She, it, uh, three weeks ago, she was caddying on the LPGA tour for one of her good friends. Cause she wasn't in the field, uh, has a great finish, uh, two weeks ago, which gets her into the field of the, the, the women's British open. Um, you know, in a year, a year ago, she was ready to, she was thinking, contemplating quitting the game. So it's, uh, it's such a feel good story and just, a you know, perseverance, get, you know, comes through. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, uh, quite Americanized as she, uh, she didn't Germany and England, but, uh, clearly she'd spent a lot of time in the United States, uh, uh, she was just kind of a very likable, cool girl and uh, uh, held through the pressure really well. I mean, it's her first time in the fire, really, and she wins. Yeah, phenomenal. <laughs> great performance. Yeah. All right, a couple of great guests coming up, as we said. We'll have a nice visit with uh, Sarah Burnham, a P- LPGA player, and also Ian Highfield. So we'll be back with those. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Also, Podcast MN, a great landing spot for our podcast, Lakes, Woods, and Irons as well. That all thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2020 and 2021 Buicks, which are just uh, rolling in. Chris, very special guest, and uh, I'll let you handle the introductions. Yeah, I want to introduce uh, Ian Highfield. Ian is a uh, speaker and performance coach uh, based in Atlanta and does a lot of work with golfers as well as other athletes. And um, we had Ian on the show a couple of years ago talking about pre-shot routine, but wanted to have Ian back on. Welcome to the show, Ian. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I uh, I appreciate it. And sorry about my... uh... Uh, time difference messed up. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm English. I'm still not quite used to all these different zones. <laughs> we didn't even notice it. <laughs> oh. Well, Ian, welcome back. You know, t- before we get started, t- tell everybody a little bit about your background and kind of what, what you do in the world of golf and performance. Yeah, I'm, I was a high school golfer, high school rugby player, high school uh, soccer player, and high school cricket player. And, um, I guess when I, I got a bit, quite towards the end of my high school career, I had to make a choice uh, between golf and, and rugby, and I, I chose to play rugby in college. Uh, I was very unsuccessful. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I set out on a mission to try and understand why. Um, why was I so good so young? And then why did I struggle with, with certain things? Uh, and I started to work that out. Uh, got a grounding in sports psychology uh, and uh, amongst other uh, reading on how the brain works, neuroscience, how we learn skills, 
Uh, I seek out a lot of professors. I got some incredible help from um, some incredible human beings. Uh, and I, I formulated this framework that I believe would have helped me be better. Uh, and now I guess my goal is to, to be that person that I didn't have when I was a bit younger, uh, teach those skills that maybe weren't talked about as much or, or weren't valued or, you know, just be that, that friend that, that maybe I needed uh, when I was going through those weird times where my sporting performance was decreasing a bit and I was lacking a little bit of direction in, in my life. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's really what I do. I work mainly in golf. Um, I'm very privileged to have some great uh, contracts with Penn State, the Ledbetter uh, Golf Academy. Um, I do a bit of work in soccer as well. Uh, with an amazing woman who um, has her own app, uh, who was capped 26 times for the USA, uh, and then yeah, just have private clients on the side of that as well. So I'm I'm very fortunate to make my living do what doing what I love, and and I think hopefully creating positive change for for people. Yeah, certainly do. You you put out some great content on your website and newsletters and you, you sent you sent one out last week that really resonated one of the things we talk a lot about on the show Ian is uh and when I'm on the lesson tee is I always ask people are, are they practicing or they're exercising and yeah. most people go to the range and just exercise and uh I'm just I'm just gonna read the first paragraph of your of your email it says that uh, if you were going to attempt a triathlon would you practice swimming in a bathtub or in the sea? If you picked a bathtub, the chances of you swimming with any momentum in the sea are practically zero, and you could drown on a day in, of the big race as you would not be able to deal with the chaos that that environment of the sea throws you. The analogy is the same for golf. The player spends time hitting balls in the range, will not learn to deal with the chaos of different lies, wind, slope, bunkers, Water, long walks between shots, and the pressure of the scorecard in hand. Perfect analogy of uh, how most of us prepare for golf. Absolutely, yeah. I, I have to give credit to uh, Dr. Timley, who helped me understand how many balls we can hit on the range before it's kind of a waste of time. Um, I have to give credit to Graham McDowell and Peter Arnett, who are two very good golf coaches in Scotland. Uh, I stole the analogy of the bathtub from them. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm taking work from smart people and, and sending it out in my mailing list. That's what you guys have, have caught me doing there. Um, yeah, you'd know, you just... I, I'm not afraid to say I think golf is the worst practice sport in the world because... No one ever declared that the golf range was the best place to learn golf. No learning expert ever said that. The experts say it's the worst place. The people that say it's the best place are the country clubs in America that have huge amounts of land. So they build it for added value for the, for the members in the facility. And then the members are the people that say it's the best place. But it's not really. It's more due to convenience. In 2020, the most valuable thing we own is time, and it's quite long. 
to play around a golf or to practice on the golf course. It's time-consuming. And the golf range is convenient. So people love the golf range through convenience and through marketing and branding and, and how it looks and what it can provide. No one has ever declared it's the best. Not No learning expert has ever declared it's the best place to learn golf. Yeah, no question. And Ian, so give us some ideas. If the range isn't the best place, what, what are some of the best ways for us to practice and be able to take our range game to the golf course? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You, you really have two ways of doing it. You can try and bring golf course for the range um, and I design a few games and stress tests that would recreate and simulate situations you might find yourself in on the golf course um, but then also the one I'm doing a lot more recently is I'm taking the golf range to the golf course so you can bring the golf course to the range if you're on the range but you can also take a learning mindset to the golf course. Um, so I'll give, you, I'll give you two examples of that. Uh, first of all, when a golfer turns up to practice, they have to answer one question. Are they training to learn or are they training to perform? And if you're training to learn, it's going to be slow, it's going to be painful, it's going to be deliberate, it's going to be purposeful. And you're probably looking at a certain swing change or learning to hit a certain kind of shot um, and what you want to do is you want to really limit yourself to hitting five balls at a time um, or working on that same skill five times over so for example if you're on the range and you're training to learn you might do five balls with the drill that your PGA coach has given you. Then you've got to go and hold an eight-foot pot, and then you come back, and you might hit five balls at 20% swing speed. And then you hold an eight-foot pot, and then you come back, and you might go back to that original five balls of the drill that the PGA coach has given you. And then what you've got there is your mind, your memory is being challenged. As soon as you go past five or six balls in a row, you're not challenging your memory, you're just pulling readily available information from the previous shot. But if you structure your practice like I've just said, when you go back to drills that the PGA coach gave you, it's like, how did I do that last time? It's been seven, eight minutes since I last did this drill. What did I do? How was I successful? How did it feel? So it keeps the brain engaged. So that's the first part of training to learn. Now, if you're doing that on the range, unfortunately, the range lacks context. There's no trees, there's no water, there's no flag. So at some point, when you feel like you're getting that movement, you might want to go on the golf course and play hole number one with 30% swing speed. So you're never going to hit the ball as far. Well, it doesn't matter. You're just practicing to learn. So pick the ball up and move it to where you would normally hit your driver. And then you hit your eye and approach shot at 30% speed, and it's going to come up short of the green. Well, it doesn't matter because you're training to learn. You're not training to perform. So 
what you're doing is you're practicing these drills on the range in sort of five ball sets, keeping the memory engaged. And then you just go on the golf course. And if you're successful on that first hole in context and you're feeling the movement changing how you and your professional coach want you to, then you just up the speed on the next hole. And then you just up the speed on the next hole. And you might get, by the seventh hole, you might be swinging it at about 60% your normal speed. And you might feel great. And you might be ready to switch to training to perform. And then ultimately training to perform is all about full pre-shot routine, some rules um, that make the game cool, make you have an outcome and something that you're striving towards. And you move away from thinking about your swing and thinking about learning golf and you move towards performing golf. Um, and, you know, I, I love doing that with a lot of players that I coach where, hey, if you hit the ball in the left rough, it's a 50-yard penalty backwards. Uh, if you hit the ball in the fairway, it's 25 yards forward. Every second putt is drawn back three feet. <laughs> and we actually level par for five holes. Just trying to add more outcomes and more stress because that's what performance is. Um, and we would build similar... Uh, things on the on the on the range if we needed to, but ultimately when I'm on the range, I'm on the range because it's convenient. I'm on the range because maybe I couldn't get out on the golf course. I'm on the range because maybe the player has limited time. But my preference would be to do all of this uh, on the golf course because that's absolute context. Um, basketballers practice on the basketball court. Footballers practice on the football pitch, soccer players on the soccer pitch, golfers on the golf range. <laughs> Ian, so let's let's say you've got a, a 15 handicap player who's who's working on their game, and they only have a uh, they just have a limited amount of time they can practice any given week because of life and family and work and all that. And let's say they, they've got they've got two nights a week where they come come from the range for an hour and then maybe play golf on the weekends. What, what would be a good practice strategy for them? Yeah, I would say uh, they have a training to learn circuit and a training to perform circuit. So that's a great question as well, by the way. I, I love the way you framed that. So the training to learn circuit might be, okay, we have 30 minutes. Station one is three balls working on my swing station two is um the eight foot pot and station three is three balls working on my swing and these the drills would be different um so you would do three balls hit the eight foot pot three balls um and what you're doing is you're adding a bit of variability a bit of space that keeps the brain engaged and you might go for 20 minutes and you really start to feel an understanding for how you want the, the club to move. Maybe you do 30 minutes. And then the second half of the, the session is, okay, there's my fairway and there's my approach shot. And I am going to get a point if I hit the ball on the fairway, hit the ball onto the green with my approach shot and hole an eight-foot putt. If I do all three of those in a row, I get a point. If I miss any of them, 
it's a one minute time penalty. I have to stand still for one minute and then I reset and go again. And I've got to see how many combos. So the combo is three in a row, fairway, green, eight foot foot. How many combos I can get in the remainder of my session. And then in, in one hour, you've hit a lot less balls. But what you've done is during the technical practice, you've lost the feeling and tried to regain it. That's where learning happens. So many people want to get the feeling and keep it forever. But that's not learning. That's cheating the system. That's not what it's going to be like on the golf course. So the way that I said to structure the technical practice means you lose the feeling and you challenge your mind to regain it. That's how we learn. And then the performance practice represents golf. Driver, iron, putt, driver, iron, putt. And there's an outcome. And if you give yourself a 30-minute time limit, every time you miss a shot, you've got a minute penalty, so there's an outcome. And maybe you get two or three combos in a row, and now you're on to shoot your record. So now you've got to deal with the outcome pressure of setting your best score. So that might be one way um, that, that I would structure practice for a, for a 15 handicap. Well, I, I have done. I have maybe two guys that I work with that are around that handicap. Um, so I, I structure practice for them like that. And then I would also describe them an on-course game. I would also very much recommend uh, one of my on-course games and trying to do like nine holes with these on-course games that are actually harder than golf. So when you turn up on the weekend to play, it feels a little easier than your practice session did. And, and that's where golf has it wrong. Very often there's no consequences in, in practice in golf. You just hit balls. But if you're going right. out playing this nine game that's actually harder than the game you're going to play on Saturday, I think that's how we breed self-efficacy and confidence. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, so, so many people, they, they their practice session, they come to the range, and regardless of the, the efficiency of their swing or their skill level, after hitting 15, 20, 30 shots, you can get into a, a sense of rhythm and timing where you tend to hit every shot pretty well. It's going towards the target. It's curving the direction you want it to. Uh, but unfortunately, you've just gotten your timing down. You haven't changed your swing. And we, we develop a false sense of accomplishment and think we're hitting it really well. But like you said, we're, it's not, that doesn't simulate golf at all. Yeah, correct. So if you truly want to make a swing change stick, and the scientists would call that uh, retention of skill, and if you truly want to make a swing change uh, show up on the golf course, so the scientists would call that transfer of skill, you have to have spacing, variability, and challenge. So the spacing is the time between shots. And I see players on the range hit 20 balls in about four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not, that's not optimal. I didn't, if, see you, if, I didn't see you standing behind me, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> or me. Uh, I'm guilty. I've been guilty of that. That's why I'm speaking to you guys and not playing. Um, but but if you, um, even if you did nothing else that we're talking about on this radio show, but move the pyramid of balls back five or ten yards and take one ball and hit one ball a minute, that's going to challenge your working memory. And then if it was like, okay, I'm going to hit one ball a minute 
and I'm going to change target and change club every time. Then you've added some variability. And the more time between each shot and then the changing in club creates more challenge. The brain is going to have to remain engaged, engaged to adapt to that. So you're correct. If you're just machine gunning balls, your practice lacks spacing, it lacks variability, and it lacks challenge. And, you know, those three things have come from professors. Uh, Dr. Anders Ericsson, who, who unfortunately is no, is no longer with us, but was a big influencer on my coaching. Uh, Dr. Tim Lee. Um, and then uh, John Kessel, who was in charge of USA Volleyball, who's done a lot on motor learning. You know, I'm not making this up. I'm taking their work and just applying it into golf. And facing variability and challenge are three key ingredients that you need in practice if you want to make your swing change stick. And if you want to transfer it to the golf course. That's great stuff. Ian, you've got a great podcast called Beyond the Mind Podcast. And uh, you talk a lot about golf. You talk about a lot about performance. And um, some of your re- your recent podcasts have, have dealt a lot with stress and anxiety and, and motivation. And I think in the times we're at, so many people are experiencing so much stress and anxiety over you know, everything that's going on. Give, give us some, some things that, that people can do to help deal with that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky one because, it, you know, I personally, I've, I don't really know anyone who's, who's suffered from the virus. I, I, I haven't lost anyone. So I'm not necessarily in a, in a, in a position to give many people advice because I, I don't quite know what they're, they're going through and, and everyone's different. But from my standpoint, I remember when it first came and my first um, trip to Florida got cancelled. Then my trip to New York got cancelled. And I was like, right, that's X amount of, of thousands of dollars. And then they cancelled the school, um, high school season. And I'm like, right, well, there's, there goes more money. And then they cancelled the college season. Then I couldn't go and watch my LPGA tour players because that got... And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to make any money. And for me, I ruminated on that. Two to three days. What am I going to do? What am I, I'm not going to make any money. I'm not going to... The minute I accepted, right, what's the worst case scenario? Okay, it's X amount of thousands of dollars. It's gone. Ian, it's gone. Accept that it's gone. Right. What are you going to do with your time now? And I started to every day design my perfect day. So it involved exercise. I actually created the podcast during uh, the coronavirus. So it, 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 it was exercise. It was podcast creation. Um, and it was learning. Uh, and... Um, you know, I, I actually found a lot of fulfillment in what I was doing. And then, um, so as well as acceptance of the situation, I think then reflection. I now am more grateful when I go and give a lesson, when I can get on a plane, uh, when I get a paycheck. I, I don't expect it anymore. I'm more grateful. And honestly, I think I was getting into a mental position where because I was being relatively successful and people were reaching out, I was starting to feel a bit entitled to, to that money. And I was, 
it was almost like, oh, poor me when it got taken away. Rather than being grateful for what I already had, um, and then rather than being grateful for the time where I can create things, and now now it's getting a bit more back to normal, you know, being grateful again. So that's just my, that's just from my eyes and from my opinion. And and I had some good people around me that joined in with me with doing fitness challenges and and helped me out and. I stayed off social media. We didn't moan. We didn't complain. I, I just did, did my thing. So I think acceptance and then uh, reflection and gratefulness are, are three things that really spring to mind during this time. That's good stuff, Ian. Ian, if people want to learn more about you and, and what you do, where, where do they find that? Yeah, so I have an old website that's gltgolf.com. Um, we, we don't use that site anymore, but there's a ton of great information on it. Uh, and then I have another website, ianhighfield.com. And Ian is I-A-I-N. So that's ianhighfield.com. But the best two things right now, they seem to be the best. They're what people tell me are the best, is Instagram, which is GameLTraining. So that's GameLTraining. Um, I just record myself coaching games, challenges, technical circuits, and I put them out there, and they're very well received. And then my book is available on Amazon. Uh, it's, it's selling really well. The feedback's been awesome. Uh, and that's golf practice, how to practice golf and take your range game to the course. And it's a big, bright yellow book uh, with black writing. So you can get that on Amazon. So I would say Instagram, Game L Training, and then Amazon, golf practice, how to practice golf and take your range game to the core. Awesome. Fantastic, Ian. Really, really good stuff. That's uh, If we want to get better, we can get better. Well, yeah, doc Dr. Erickson told me the human brain and human body are blessed with a gift, and that's the gift of adaptability. And through deliberate practice, that is how we can take advantage of this gift. Uh, and he, he was an amazing mentor to me, and unfortunately he passed away recently. So... Um, I, I truly believe that and I buy into that and I'm trying to create fr frameworks that will help people uh, take advantage of that gift. So uh, I think if you guys have a mailing list, I'm more than happy to give something away for free, um, like the golf range challenges or a golf practice circuit or something like that. So we can speak off air and you can you can fire something out to, to your guys on the mailing list. Awesome. Okay, sounds good. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Also uh, at uh, Lakes, Woods, and Irons Facebook page and Lakes, Woods, and Irons at Podcast MN, a great landing spot for Minnesota podcast. This segment brought your way by Craigens Golf Courses. Uh, be sure to play Bobby's and the Legacy and the Par 3 course. Get in on the, all the great uh, dining and uh, boating opportunities through Craigens. Just a wonderful part of our community. So this segment brought your way by Craigens on Gull Lake. Chris, a special guest, and uh, we'll let you handle the introductions. Yeah, it's not often we get to have a, uh, a tour player on the show, but we've got uh, Sarah Burnham. Sarah's a uh, 2014 graduate of Wyzetta High School, was a three-time All-American at Michigan State, and 2019 was a rookie year on the LPGA Tour. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, Saturday, I'm, I'm 
teaching on the range at the legacy and as i often do i'm looking down the range and i see this uh this beautiful golf swing just down range i'm thinking wow i wonder who that is and then uh as i watched you swing i thought that's got to be sarah burnham <laughs> so so it was it was it was fun to uh get to see you and catch up a little bit thank you yeah uh, my grandparents have a cabin up north in brainerd and I thought I'd swing in and hit a couple before we head out on the lake that day. So it was great to see you out there. That's fun. Sarah, for the, for those who don't know you, give us a little background on your kind of your, your amateur career and college career and getting to the LPGA Tour. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I pretty much grew up in, like, the Twin Cities area and Maple Grove. So play a lot of amateur golf with the MGA and uh, the Minnesota PGA. Um, I kind of just started, I started playing when I was nine and then I worked my way up. I just kept practicing and was able to get a scholarship at Michigan State University and I played for them for about um, four years. And then I graduated last year, actually did a fifth year, finished up school. And while I was doing that, I was also a rookie on the LPGA Tour. So um, I qualified through Q School and yeah, now I'm just out here at the Walmart getting ready for this week's LPGA event. You're in Arkansas, right, Sarah? Yes, Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. So you weren't at the senior, uh, the Women's British Open, so that's why you had a little time in the uh, in the lakes area, a little a little vacation for you. Yes, it was super nice, and always good to see my grandparents and family members that I don't get to see too often when you're out on tour. So it was great. Well, that's great, Sarah. You know, I I've known you since you were about ten years old, and. I've always been impressed. You know, you're, you're a player that is just kind of steadily improved every year. And you always make the jump to the next level and have had success there. And what kind of tell us what, how do you, what do you attribute that to? And, and um, how have you made those leaps every time you need to? Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I've always been, I guess, a pretty hard worker. And I, um, but when you're working hard, it's like, is it is it something that's going to be productive or not so much so maybe like with school for example i had a bunch of homework that day i could only practice maybe a couple hours but how could i be the most productive out of those couple hours and what how can i improve to better my game is always like the question i would ask myself as i um grew up and practiced and everything so i guess that's a huge thing i've learned throughout the years is like how my practice can benefit in the long run um and i guess i don't know i've had a pretty stable mind i've struggled with confidence a little bit but um i think that would be huge if i could just even today get better confidently it would make a huge drive in my game but overall just not getting too down on yourself and just being pretty steady mind pace um i think it's helped me be successful as well it sounds like obviously time management, Sarah. You, you're getting your degree from Michigan State, and you're playing on the LPGA tour last year. That's a mm-hmm. that's, that's a full yeah. plate. Yes, it was a lot. Um, I mean, I graduated in May, so it was just the beginning of the season. Um, so really, I just you know I did what I could. I remember I took finals on Tuesday, and then I flew down on Wednesday to um, an event. I think it was. It was in California somewhere. Oh, it was the LA Open. And um, yeah, I just like didn't do a practice round, had no time, got there the night before because I wanted to finish my finals. So 
that was one story I'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sir, so, talk about the the difference between college golf and and the LPGA Tour. I, I imagine this is pretty dramatic, and there's not many players who who go straight from college and get their LPGA Tour card right away. So that's quite a, an accomplishment in itself. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I don't know. I just went to Q school thinking if I could just get through stage one, you know what, get on the Symmetra Tour, I'll be great. And um, I'll be taking the right steps, you know, like after college and everything. But I continued to play well in Q school and was able to get my status, you know, last year and stuff. So it was super fun. And I never I never expected to play on the LPGA Tour. So honestly, I kind of surprised myself. Was it top 25 in Q school for our listeners there? Is that right? Well, it's actually the top 45 gets some status, and then based on how you finish, you get more status. Yeah, so, yeah. In the third stage, yeah. I was just looking at your Rolex uh, stats that uh, uh, Chris had me take a look at, and uh, two, uh, two career top 10s already, Sarah. The difference in the game when you get in the top 10 is it how much adrenaline is there on that last day when you're a top 10 type player? <laughs> Um, if I'm in the top 10, I, um, I'm usually feeling pretty good about my game that week. So if, um, let's say for instance, the last day, I just, I want to get a good round and pretty much just, you know, stay where I am or, um, do whatever. But the leaderboard, like seeing the leaderboard and your name up there a lot is a little nerve wracking, but I've learned how to manage the nerves out there. And what's, what's it been like getting to play with some of the, uh, the players you admired growing up? Um, it's awesome. It's crazy to think that like my game is with the best in the world and that I've gotten it to that level is just like even crazy to think about. So I'm just honored to be here and playing with some of the best. How does the Walmart track lay out for your game, Sarah, do you think, this week? Um, I really like this course. It's one of my favorite courses on tour. Um, I haven't gone out for a practice round yet to see what it's like this year, but I heard the greens are running pretty pure and so hopefully the putts will stay online, which I would love. So hopefully they'll go in the hole. Sarah, was was the uh, KPMG LPGA Championship last year, was that your first major on the LPGA Tour? Yes, it was. And it was cool because it was like 30 minutes from my house. So um, had a lot of family and friends come out and watch. And if I remember right, you made the cut. I did, yes. It was the craziest thing ever, so... Like, people team was playing pretty hard, and I shot, like, 78 the first day. And um, so I was six over, and I and the cut ended up being plus one. So I shot one under, which was one of the best rounds of my life, I would say, just because considering all the conditions and everything. Obviously, it's not one of my lowest, but and the stakes of it being a major and everything, I thought that was one of the best rounds. And I was able to make the cut right on the dot. Uh, that's neat. So going going into, the, into this year, obviously, the – the LPGA Tour has just gotten started up, and and you really, the early season got canceled. Uh, but you've had a great 2020. You won the the Michigan Open, I believe, and and you've you won some mini tour events. So you're off to a great start for the season. Tell us about your plans for. Tell us about some of that and your plans for the the remainder of the LPGA season. Yeah, so um, it, it was great to get a couple wins just to boost my confidence a little, even if it was on the mini tour event. And um, then when the first LPG tour event, I got um, tied six 
so that was just awesome too for another confidence booster and um so i'm just i'm just looking at my game in general and i think it's still improving so I'm just looking forward to the rest of the season and there i think will be some events that are can't are canceled so we'll just see what kind of happens and with the tour but i'm just going to play in everything that uh, i pretty much can and see from there where it goes what do you think the strengths of your game are sarah right now um, I definitely hit a lot of fairways, so that's always a plus. And I hit a lot of greens, so I, I'm usually putting um, for birdie. It might not always be right next to the hole where I'd like it to be, but I'm pretty consistent off the tee, so that's a huge plus out here. Yeah, yeah. How long are you, just out of curiosity? Um, I'm averaging about like 250, 260. just depends on the course and the conditions. I'd yeah, say. yeah. Yeah. And if you look down the road in uh, five years and th- those kind of, it sounds like you're that kind of athlete, maybe, where do you, where do you maybe see yourself, Sarah? Um, five years from now, I mean, I'm hoping I'm still on tour and I'm hoping I'm improving and, and making cuts on a daily, daily week and just overall making a living out here would just be awesome. It'd be a dream come true. Well, Sarah, you're certainly on your way to that. And uh, I'm sure we've, you've picked up some fans here on today's show. So We'll be we'll we'll be watching you the rest of the season. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Sarah, thanks for taking the time, and uh, good luck this week. Wow. Thank you. I appreciate it. Guys, have a good day. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) Bye. You're listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380. That was our conversation with Sarah Burnham, Minnesota girl, Michigan State University golfer, and now an LPGA uh, rookie, having a, a nice start on the LPGA tour. Thanks to our sponsors for this segment, uh, Holiday Station Stores of Cross Lake and Mill Avenue, and also Mills GM. 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Also, Lakes, Woods, and Irons, our Facebook page. You can go there and uh, give us a like. We'd appreciate that. Any comments as well, any questions uh, for Chris that you can think of, you can put them right there on Facebook. As well, we're also on Podcast MN, a great landing spot for Minnesota podcasts. Really, anywhere you go looking for podcasts, you can find us under Lakes Woods and Irons. Thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2020 and 2021 Buicks. Chris, uh, good guest today. You've been hot on your lining up the guests this year. I got to say, man, it. Uh, you know, people don't have. Uh... Well, people in golf are very busy, I guess, this year, but it seems like we've been able to secure some great guests because people maybe don't have quite as much going on as they typically do. But, uh, yeah, we've had a nice season of, uh, of guests on the show. Ian Highfield has a podcast. It's called uh, Beyond the Mindset with Ian Highfield. He also uh, has a great Instagram that, he's, uh, that he enjoys, and he's got a, a book out there as well. Uh, about uh, golfing practice and it's available on Amazon for you author again Ian Highfield so also Sarah Burnham young uh, Minnesota girl and uh, on the PGA Tour for the women LPGA Tour she's at uh, in Arkansas this week for the event and was kind enough to take a little time sounded like just before she's about to go out and play Chris yeah she was just on her way to a practice round and uh, took some time out to talk to us but uh, Sarah is a great girl and very promising future. It seems like uh, with a lot of the, uh, Ian talked about it a little, speaking engagements canceled and maybe some group learning, uh, group uh, lesson things canceled. Uh, he just kind of adjusted his mindset to the uh, COVID era 
and uh, we've been uh, fortunate enough uh, to have our golf courses open. But a lot of online stuff available if you go searching for uh, really how to get better, isn't there, Chris? Oh, for sure. There's there's so much golf content uh, on the internet and YouTube and uh, podcasts and. There, there's a lot of great stuff out there. The, the whole key is how does it apply to your game? Uh, speaking of that, we had an opportunity for a lesson. I was uh, going out to practice, and uh, uh, you had a, an opening late in the day, I, I think Saturday perhaps, and uh, uh, last week, and uh, were able to give me a half-hour lesson or so, which was great, and I uh, took it to the golf course. And it's like a lot of lessons. Some things you, you think, okay, now I got this working for my irons. This is what... Uh, in your, in my case, you, since you're uh, my teacher, so uh, Chris told me. But this week, uh, uh, I've been hitting my driver pretty well, but we were just, uh, you watched in a few drives, and it was a simple tip, really, Chris, and uh, why don't you kind of uh, explain maybe what I was uh, not necessarily doing wrong, but maybe how to improve it. Well, one, you know, one of the things that uh, you always hear people say, oh, I got quick, or the you know their transition is is too harsh and uh so many times that feeling of being quick is actually that the backswing is too slow it's counterintuitive but the backswing has been too slow so the transition gets very harsh or quick to create speed in the downswing and that gets our body out of sync and you know it's hard to hard to hit any shots with consistency you sort of find the club face if, if we're out of sync so um you know you, you your tendency uh always is that your backswings tend to get a little slow and because of that your transition gets quick and as a result you, you you tend to hit a lot of shots you know real low on the club face and so by picking if 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 you know when we're hitting the driver we want to swing it as fast as we can without sacrificing him in the center of the face. So if, if we're trying to create club head speed, we have to do that both going back and forward. And we all have a cadence that works best for us. And, uh, you know, there's very few players like Hizeki, Hizeki Matsuyama who can swing so slow back, pause at the top, and then, then hit it hard. Most players have a you know, it's about a two to one ratio to their swing. So if, let's say, for instance, that the back swing takes 0.6 seconds, the forward swing would then take about 0.3 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can maintain that cadence in your swing, you're going to have a much better uh, opportunity to hit the center of the club face. So, so many times if, if, when you feel that feeling of getting quick, rather than slowing down your backswing, if you pick up the pace so that the backswing pace is more similar to the forward swing pace. Yeah, yeah, it just, uh, well, it worked very quickly on the range and uh, just kind of eliminated the, when I do, when I have missed them this year, it's almost a, a direct pull, which gets in a lot of trouble at the Legacy, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been pretty consistent, but that one I would miss, even if it's one every nine holes or one every seven drives, whatever that works out to, you know, that's uh, two more shots added to your scorecard on both sides if you do it once on each side. So so stop doing it. But it really it doesn't take one. No, it doesn't. I, I took it out to uh, 
Ryan Friedis uh, set to Ken Thomas and myself and a couple of our friends up out at uh, a Golden Eagle this week, and uh, I, I just had that in my head, the speeding up the backswing a little bit, and it was just uh, really worked well. You were hitting that driver about as well as I've seen you hit it, I think, Mac. I, just a little uh, grip change with your right hand a little more on top and yep. speeding up that, that backswing, and uh, well, you're hitting a lot of good shots. You know, I think from the an, another lesson earlier this year, we, we kind of slowed down my – you were showing me when I start to miss my irons, a lot of times it's my takeaway backwards. So then you go kind of go slow to get that rhythm where you're going to, in my case, break my wrists. So I stay on online going back. So then maybe I kind of slowed everything down a little bit, I think. Sure. <laughs> and now i got to speed it up again. So That's right. But anyway, I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's, Fun to see. Yeah. All right. Good show this week, Chris. Uh, you're off to the lesson tee again, I'm sure. I am out there right now. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Mac. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. To be your best every day, You need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples... Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.